chapter number 3 again, 1 John chapter 3. And again, I hope you're having a good week, and I really enjoyed this past Sunday getting to sing a lot of Christmas songs, and our Sunday night, our spirit at Christmas, it was a good time uh, getting to sing stuff, and I got to learn some new songs. Uh, some songs were called out I've never heard before, and that was good. It was, we learn as we go. It was good. We had a good time and just kind of kicking everything off there. And uh, But anyhow, it was a blessing. I'm looking forward to all the services we're going to have. And let me encourage you to invite people to come. They're more interested, I think, in the name of Christ. Christ is probably mentioned more in this month than it is any other time of the year. People talk about the coming of Christ. Now, honestly, I think a lot of people don't really understand what they're saying when they talk about the coming of Christ, or at least don't worship it the the way that God wants us to. But I encourage you to invite people to come and be a part of our services. Well, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 again tonight, and we're going to read kind of a, a little bit of a lengthy passage here, so stay with me if you would. But in 1 John chapter number 3, we're going to begin reading where we left off last week. We're going to begin reading in verse number 9, and we're going to read down through verse number 18, okay? So 1 John chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 9. John says this, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whomsoever uh, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil. And his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. We're going to look at all these verses in different ways here as we go through this. But I want us to look at that topic tonight of this, of loving in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we look at your word uh, this evening for the next few moments, Lord, that you would just add your blessing to it. But Lord, not just your blessing, Lord, I pray you would reveal yourself and your message through your word. Lord, I pray you would forgive me of my sins and where I fail you. Lord, where I put myself and, and my desires above you. And Lord, I pray as we look at your word tonight that you would take me as your vessel, but Lord, make me usable. Lord, I thank you so much for the people that are here tonight, Lord. They're just encouragement to me for them being here. Lord, I know probably some, if not many of them, are enduring some things and, and some things that are maybe upset upsetting to them, Lord, and are unsettling, Lord, I pray you'd help them. And Lord, I do pray for those working with the children tonight, Lord, and other services, Lord, bless them, be there as well, I pray. And thank you, Lord, so much for Jesus. Thank you for this time of year that we can celebrate the birth of our Savior. And Lord, help us as we look at this passage, see another way that we can celebrate his birth. Thank you for all you do for us in Christ's name, amen. And just as we've been studying, we've been going through a series for the last, I guess, almost two months now, on the on the book of first john and as i've mentioned before and just as a reminder first john is is written by the uh, written by the disciple john and is, this is the one whom jesus loved this is the one whom jesus looks at and says uh son behold thy mother and looks to marry his mother and says woman behold thy son same one now of course john is in his later years of his life 
And he's writing this to believers, in particular, to the church at Ephesus. Now, not to the church of Ephesus that's just been formed by Paul, to the church that's on fire for God, but he's talking to a church that's starting to show a drift, where they start to drift away, which, by the way, we all have to admit sometimes in our lives, when we first get saved, when we first get right with God, and we get on fire, we get back on track, but if we're not careful, we start drifting away. Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews 2. And the early chapters totally deal with being in fellowship with God and dealing with being in fellowship with God. You know, when I think about being in fellowship with God, you know, I have to think about different people. When I think fellowship with God, I think somebody like Enoch. Enoch's not somebody really talked about much in the Bible. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, there's only four verses given to Enoch in all of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 5, talks about Enoch and the hall of faith. So of all those people listed, Enoch's one of the first ones mentioned. And it talks about that he had a testimony of faith that his life, the actual words are, pleased God. And what a testimony that is. He pleased God. I mean, he had fellowship with God. There's a, a great verse in, in where we read about Enoch's life back in Genesis chapter number 5. Verse number 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God. Boy, that's such a simple sentence, isn't it? But what a great truth that Enoch walked with God. You know, you think about when you go to a funeral or you go and you go to a graveyard, and a lot of times it'll have a phrase or have something there. And you think about the epitaph, if you will, on Enoch, it's been known as this. It was the man that walked with God. And God wanted through all eternity, whenever believers would read the scripture, right in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 5, he wanted them to, for eternity to know this is somebody that had fellowship with me. And I believe John wants us to know that we can have that same fellowship with God. Now, we have it. Why? Because of salvation in Christ. We have this fellowship with God, and we can have that. And then we see constantly talking about the light of God and genuine Christianity. And then we come to chapter number 3, and he starts off with this one word, behold. The word behold there has the mentality of take notice, or it means to ponder. So if you look in uh, chapter 3 that we were in, verse number 1 says, Behold, or take notice, or ponder, it says, What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He's telling them that you need to walk in the light. He's telling them not only do you need to walk in the light, but you can have fellowship with God. And all that is possible. Why? Because of what? The love that God has for us. The love that God has for you. And last week we kind of dove into some harder verses of Scripture. We got into verses 4 through 8, and a lot of things talking about that. In verse number 9, we didn't quite get to verse 9. Uh, verse 9 is really a culmination of verses 4 through 8. Let's look at verse number 9, because this is a verse that really trips a lot of people up. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, a lot of people like to take beginning part of verse number 9 and say that you... Lose your salvation. Whosoever is born of God doth not sin. Well, can I tell you that every single person in this room sins? I'm going to dare step on your glory here for a moment and say that probably everyone, if you're like me, sins every day. Whether it's in thought, whether it's in deed, in some way we sin. You say, Phil, I've been going for the last six months and I have not sinned at all for six months. Well, you just broke it because you're prideful. All right, so I mean, if you think about it, we all sin. This passage here, and by the way, let me encourage you with something. Don't run from Scripture just because you don't understand it, okay? This is a passage that many believers run from. 
Let any time you bump into something in Scripture that makes you feel confused, that makes you feel wondering about, let it make you dive into it more. Let it strengthen you. Let it uh, allow yourself to pray and beg God for, for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5, it's talking about if any man like wisdom, let him ask of God. And so we see in her, don't let it make you run. But when it talks about here, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, it means a practice. It means a lifestyle. It means to do the sin and have no regard for it, to have pleasure in it and to stay in the pleasure of it with no desire, no repentance of ever turning around. And what he's saying here is this. Uh, to give you an example, uh, take, the, take the prodigal son, if you would. The prodigal son, and I understand a lot of people like to use the parable of the prodigal son for salvation, don't they? They like to use it while they came, and, and I understand it. But here's the thing. He was a son before he left. He was a son when he was in the pig pen. He was a son when he returned and made righteous. He was still a son. Now, did he please his father? No. When he returned, did it please his father? Yes. But he was still a son. He was still part of the family. And what, I, what I'm trying to say in this, talking about it's not a lifestyle, it's not something, a practice of what we mean is this. When he reached that pig pen, the reason he couldn't stay in the pig pen is pretty simple, okay? This is going to be really deep, okay? If you want to write something down this, ready? You want to know why he didn't stay in the pig pen? He wasn't a pig. He wasn't a pig. That wasn't his nature. It wasn't his only nature. See, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I have two natures living inside of me right now. I have a sinful, fleshly nature, and I have the Spirit of God that also wants to live inside of me and guide me and lead me. And the prodigal son couldn't stay there because he longed for his father, he longed for his home, and he eventually made things right. Think about people in Scripture. Moses got angry and hit the rock when God told him to talk to it, didn't he? By the way, I always find that interesting. Moses gets angry. God said, let's talk. Moses is like, I don't want to talk. He wants to hit. And by the way, was, God, was, was Moses angry at God? No. A lot of people go, Moses, man, he just defied God. He did defy God by not obeying God. He's really mad at people. Because of being mad at people, he disobeyed God, which, by the way, is a whole different uh, application there. If you think about it, a lot of times we disobey God because of our anger against people. But you know what? Moses got it right. David sinned with Bathsheba. David had Uriah killed. David did so many things wrong. But David's not called a man after God's own heart because his story stopped there. David did eventually make it right with God. You know, you think about other people in Scripture. I think about Abraham. I love Abraham. Very few people have anything negative to say about Abraham. Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife, not once but twice, to save his own neck. Two different times. But you know what? Abraham did get right. And Abraham's called what? The friend of God. Peter denied Jesus three times. I believe he even used profanity one of the times if you study scripture. But what did he do? He got it right with God and he goes on to preach Pentecost and thousands of people get saved. You say, Phil, what's your point? My point is this. Verse 9 is not saying you'll never commit sin. Verse 9 is saying if you truly have Christ in your heart, you won't stay in sin and be comfortable in sin and never leave sin because of that spirit that dwells in you. It will bring you back. And so that's what I really believe verse 9 is teaching there, which leads us to go on to some things here as he goes on to say in, in verse number 10. He says, In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. It's saying this is what's shown. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither hath he the, neither he that loveth not 
his brother. So you come to this part of scripture. Now John's saying, now here's the deal. Because of that, I want you to understand something. He's saying that there's some Christians here that proclaim of a love that's in them that never comes out of them. He's saying, he's telling this church here, he's saying, a lot of you are proclaiming and declaring you have this love of God in you, but it never comes out of you. It never comes out of you. And he's saying there's something wrong if that's the situation. You need to have love one for another. At this particular time uh, in this church, they, these, these people, this body of believers, Ephesus would meet, and they hated each other. Some of them just hated each other. They wouldn't look at the other one. They wouldn't speak to the other one. They would take some of them to court. They would do all kinds of different things like it. They hated each other, but on the Sabbath day or on the Lord's day, they get together and, you know, oh, come all ye faithful, they're going to sing it. You know what I mean? He's saying, whoa, time. He's saying, you're just talking about this love that's in you, but this love never leaves you. It never comes out of you. And John uses a lot of times in this small epistle, this small letter, the phrase abide in, abide in, abide in. And what he's saying is there's people that say the love of God abides in them, but there's never any love of God come out of them. And he's saying there's an issue there. And there's some three things I want us to see tonight looking at these, these verses here, talking about how we can, or what we need to understand about loving, but loving in deed. Deed means action and in truth, okay? Number one, I want us to see in this passage, this study tonight, this, I want us to see a simple command. Number one, a simple command. Okay, look at verse number 11. I mean, verse number 11, yeah. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, okay? So he's saying, here's what you guys need to understand. He's saying, guys, this has been it from the beginning. Now, you say, what do you mean, the beginning from the foundation of the world? No, no, this is the same John talking about the beginning. He's talking about in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking about since Jesus came, this has been Jesus' message from the time he showed up on earth. What is that? That we should love one another. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? Don't you like it when people give you all these different details and all these different things on you need to do this and do this and do this and this? At the end, you say, just keep it simple. Tell me what I'm supposed to do here. And he says, here's what you're supposed to do. You're to love one another. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed that. It's a command. Now, I know you're not going to find this very difficult to, to understand. You're saved. I'm saved. You're my brother in Christ or you're my sister in Christ. I am commanded by God to love you. Now, here's the test. You're commanded by God to love me in spite of me. There's three types of love that are, that are mentioned whenever they study. There's an eros love. Eros love is a, a sensual desire than a marriage relationship. I think you probably know where I'm going there. That particular word for love is never mentioned in the New Testament. Never. Never mentioned. Eros is after the Greek uh, God, Eros, and, and all the things that go with that. There is a love called phileo, which we get Philadelphia, the what, the city of brotherly love, a love of brothers that would have for each other. Like in military, they use like a love, brothers in arms together, a brotherly love. And then there is the agape love. Agape love is a unconditional love. It is a godlike love, meaning it's an unconditional love saying, I will love regardless of your actions and regardless if it's reciprocated to me. I remember when Rachel and I were engaged, one thing that uh, my father-in-law, Pastor Will, would always say, 
He says, Phil, I am praying for you and I'm praying for Rachel that you'll have an unconditional agape love for each other. And I'll, I'll tell him, I said, I said, preacher, because he liked being called preacher. One day I called him pastor. He said, I'm preacher. And I was like, okay. But he said, preacher, I love Rachel. He said, yeah, there's going to be a day you don't want to. I said, you have no idea who she is. Of course, I'm going to love her every day. Every day. And she's going to love me every day. Every day she's going to love me. Every decision I make, every decision she makes, we're going to want to love each other. And he goes, he just smiles like, yeah, you're stupid. You know, <laughs> that's kind of that mentality. And what he's saying is there's going to be days, and he just told me, he said, Phil, there's going to be days that she is not going to be lovable to you because of what she says or what she does or even who she is at times. And he says, you're going to have to love her. The only way this thing's going to work is you're going to have to love her in spite of her, and you're going to have to love her even when she decides to quit loving you. Well, to me, that's not exactly like engagement, encouragement, that, you know, like, hey, thank you. All right, sounds good. Let's just go ahead and say this is going to be a train wreck story. All right, thank you. All right, ruin it for me. But if you look at this command, it's the same command that's given in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Remember the person, hey, master, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy heart, and all thy mind. And he says unto it, and the second is likened to it, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, he was hoping for a little bit of a thou shalt love thy neighbor, phileo love. It's not the word. And thou shalt agape. Thou shalt love your neighbor the same way that I love your neighbor. You need to love your brother and sister in Christ the same way I love your brother and sister in Christ. And let's just be honest. Some people are very easy to love. Okay? Some people, it's very easy to pour out love to. But you ever sometimes think about the love of God? How much love God has shed on people that could care less or people that betray it? By the way, betrayal is a neat word. You know why? Enemies don't betray. Friends do. Family does. You don't ever, man, that enemy, man, that person at work that hates my guts, man, they betrayed me today. No, no, they're the enemy. They've always been looking for your demise. Always been looking for it. Enemies don't betray. Family and friends do. That's just the way it is. And he tells them in this command, it's not a suggestion. It's a pretty simple command here. He says, this is the message that's from the beginning, that you love one another, that you have this love. And I have in my notes this. I believe John's trying to teach this, that love... For a believer is not a choice. Well, I might love Brother Johnny. You know, I might love him. You know, now Brother Duel, I love him. He likes me, encourages me. I don't know about Brother Johnny. Maybe someday. Love. No, no, no. It's saying I have a choice there. But John's saying here, for a believer, it's not a choice. It's an automatic outpouring and flow of love. It's what should be continually flowing out of us. And look in verse number 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain got it wrong, <laughs> didn't he? Cain got it wrong. Why did Cain get it wrong? Pretty simple. Cain was lost. Cain was not a believer. 
You say, Brother Phil, you're judging. Yeah, by their fruits you shall know them. They both had the same commandment. They both had the same opportunities, and we see what happens. A lot of people say, well, why did Cain kill Abel? Well, it's because of his brother. No, no, ultimately, Cain was not satisfied with God's instructions. And out of his aggravation with God, he took it out on Abel. Now, this is a little bit of philology. I don't think I get too far in philology, but I'd like to say that. In my opinion, through Scripture, Cain is one of the first people that died and went to hell. There is no love ever showed of God from Cain. Never. God spared his life, right? Remember, God put the mark on him. He went to the land of Nod. Some of you all in church go to the land of Nod fairly often. I understand that, falling asleep, okay? That's not the same Nod, but we need to understand something. Cain got it wrong. And why did Cain get it wrong? Why would you dare say Cain was not saved? Look what it says. And why did he slay him in the middle of the verse? Because his own works were evil. And he was of the wicked one. That's talking about Satan. It's saying, don't be surprised that Cain killed Abel because Cain was of Satan. And his works were the works of Satan. And when you read that, it's because he did not have love. He got it wrong. Why? Because what a lot of, what cannot be in the same heart? Love and envy cannot dwell together. See, we like to say jealousy because jealousy doesn't sound as bad. But if I say envy, envy is to the point of you have it. Not only do you not deserve to have it, I like to see you suffer and me have what you have. It's kind of like the little idea of a kid seeing another kid with a toy, and you not only walk over and take the toy from him, but you push him down to hurt him in the process of it. That's envy. That's what the mentality is. And Cain didn't get it right because Cain was lost, and Cain was, had envy. And I think a lot of us as believers haven't implemented love in our lives, and you know why we don't love people? Because of the actions of other people. Well, I tell you, Phil, I, I would love people, but you know what? This one does this, and he does that, and she does that, or he doesn't do that. And you know what? Because of the actions of other people, we don't love people and do the command that he's taught us to do it. And if we're not careful, we show partiality. That's why I was joking a little bit ago about I love this one, not love that one. But be careful in showing partiality when it comes to showing love. Because James chapter 2, verse number 9 says, For whoever respect of persons sins. For if ye have respect of persons one to another, he says, ye sin. That's a pretty clear, easy statement. Saying if I show love, I show partiality in that. I only show love to who I want to show love to. And, and, and honestly, let's just be honest. Sometimes, and, and this may be you or not be you, sometimes we don't love people. Why? Because they're living right and we're not. It's hard to love somebody and show love when they're doing right, and in your life you're not doing right, because you know if you truly want to love that person that is doing right, you've got to embrace the love of Christ in them that's not in you, that you're not doing yourself. And, and that's that idea of swallowing pride. So we see a simple command here. All right, number two. What else do we see in this passage about loving in deed and truth? Number one, we see a simple command. Number two, we see the evidence of your conversion. You see the evidence of your conversion. Look in um, verse number uh, 14. 
It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Okay, so there's evidence of your conversion. When I love indeed, not just in word, and I love as God's commanded me to love other people, especially those in Christ, I'm giving evidence of my conversion. Conversion meaning salvation. And look what he says here. You, we know that we have passed from what? From death unto life. That's how we know. And if you ask yourself this question, the way you lived this week, the way you've acted this week, did it show that there's been a conversion in your life? The way that you've loved indeed, has it put off the testimony that there's been a change on the inside? You say, well, no, I pretty much just chewed people out, ripped re- re- people's heads off, and just showed the wrath of God abideth on them is all I've done all week. Be careful, because the testimony you're displaying is that nothing has happened in here before you pass from death into life. You're showing that you're still death, that you're still in those trespasses and sins. But the Bible talks about what? He's quickened us. He's made us alive who were dead in those trespasses and sins. We don't have to live that way. doesn't mean we won't ever be that way, but we don't have to stay that way. I don't have to stay that way. And I just keep thinking to myself, like this idea, I don't want my salvation to be tucked away and hidden. A lot of us, if we're not careful, when we don't show the love of Christ to other people, what we're doing is this. We're taking our salvation and we're tucking it away so nobody sees it and nobody knows it. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go to Walmart tomorrow, stand on top of the car, and start preaching hellfire and damnation to everybody that comes by. Because you're probably going to get hit by a lot of different stuff. And honestly, you probably deserve to get hit by a lot of stuff, okay? But you know what? Do I believe there's a place called hell? Yes. Do I believe in the, in the everlasting torment of hell? Absolutely. But to me, the goal is not for people to be aware of hell. For me, the goal is for people to understand the love of Christ that provided salvation so they don't have to die and go to hell. That's the goal. A lot of us never get to what the source is. We just tell them where they're going and never actually demonstrate that in our life. You may be here and say, I want people at work to know that I'm saved. I want people at work to know I'm a Christian. Well, how are you doing in that? What are you doing to show that you have passed from death unto life. You show evidence of that. I tell you, I, I love to know that myself. I, I, I've shared this with you, and I know some of you have a burden that I have. I would love to know on a Sunday morning, when I walked in last Sunday morning, it would have been awesome if God could have, everyone that walked in had a little box above their head that said saved, and a box that said lost. That would have been awesome. I would have loved that, because I felt like I could have prayed for them individually and saying, Lord, save them. But you know what, I'm supposed to pray that regardless, that God would save whoever comes, that God would bless whoever comes through the door. And I would love to know that. But I think part of the reason God doesn't give us that box is this, because I'm supposed to show the love of Christ to everybody that walks through the door, not just those that are lost. Because we're not careful. Who is the group of believers that we don't show the love of Christ to? Those Those who we think should be acting better than what they're acting. Well, if they act like they're really a Christian, you know, they'd be here, they'd be doing it. And we start not showing the love of Christ. They ought to know better is what we say. Now, if we knew they were lost, we'd say, oh, oh, you're lost, okay. But we're supposed to show that regardless of who it is. John chapter 13, verse number 35. If there's a verse 
that you want to memorize, if there's a verse that needs to help you in your life, if you struggle with loving people and showing the love of God to people, John chapter 13, verse number 35. Jesus gives tons of great information, gives tons of great commandments to his disciples. And you know what he says in John chapter 13, verse number 35? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one of another. Now I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them sitting around, he goes, hey guys, by this, I'm going to tell you how every single person it doesn't say by this shall believers know. It says all men. That's mankind. He says, I'm going to tell you how every single person you come in contact with will know that you are a follower of me. And I imagine they had to be sitting there with their tablet and, you know, chisel. They're ready to write it all down. You know, they're ready to go. And here's what Jesus says. You ready? For how much you love each other. How much you love each other. How much, Peter, you're going to love James? John, how much you're going to love Nathaniel? Philip, how much you're going to love Bartholomew? And just on and on and on and on and on. He said, that's how you can show every single person that you're of me. And I wonder, in the way that I live my life this week, and the people that I was around this week that are believers or not, did I show them by my love indeed that there's been something that's happened on the inside? Or am I confusing them? Because I say one thing and I do another. It's just, I tell you, I'm really scared I do that with my kids. I'm scared I do that to my kids. I'm scared I say all the right things, but then I, I talk about the love of God and I don't show the love of God. So I really think a lot of times I'm confusing my own kids. A lot of times. But under the idea of this, showing that there is a conversion, showing there is that. But that's a great verse. Someone said this one time. I believe it was uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says, if you will show me your love, then I will show you your God. If you will show me your love, I will show you your God. What he's saying is this. If you will show me in your actions, in your conversation, your lifestyle, what you really love, then I'll show you what the God of your life is. What do you talk about? What carries you in life? What keeps you where you are in your conversation, in your mood? He says, you show me with your speech and with your actions what you love. I'll show you what the God of your life is. And I think sometimes we probably don't want to know the answer to that question. Because a lot of times we don't show the love for the Lord the way that I need to show the love for the Lord, so I'm not putting off the right kind of testimony there. See, because something I think we need to understand is this. There's a lot of people in the outside world that look at church and look at Christians, and they just categorize us a lot by what? Rules and regulations and pet peeves and standards and those kind of things. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with standards, nothing wrong with convictions, and nothing wrong with doing everything decently and in order. But I believe what Scripture is saying here is this. If Christ abideth in you, and you're saved, and you've experienced the love of God, then we ought to let the love of God come out of us. If the love of God never comes out of you, John's saying, I'm really kind of wondering if it's there to begin with. He's saying, you're giving me reason to question your conversion. You're giving me reason to question that. And 
I tell you something to just to throw in here, and we're not going to take time for it tonight. But just another idea of evidence of of a conversion. Second Corinthians nine seven. I know it's a passage that talks about giving and and different things like that in Second Corinthians nine seven. But you ever sometimes stop and look at? It, it says God loveth the cheerful giver. And what do we always think about? Giving, giving, giving. And we look at the part. Well, if I don't just think about giving, I'll think about what? I'll think about cheerful. But that's not the point of that. The point of it is not being a giver, and the point of it is not being a cheerful giver in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You know what the point of 2 Corinthians 9, 7? God loveth, regardless what the rest of the sentence is. Whatever God loves, that's what I should do. Whatever it says God loves, that's what I should be. So I need to be a cheerful giver of my time, of my talents, of my treasure. And if I do it cheerfully, guess what it says? God says, I love it. I love it when he takes of the time that, and sacrifices and does it with a right heart to spend time with that person or to give of their talents or to give of their finances. And they do it not grudgingly, but they do it because they just want to be a blessing. And they're doing it because of the love of God. And they want to show the love of God. And, he's, and it's saying in that God said, I look at that and I love it. And he's, but I also think the flip side of that, whenever we do it in an uncheerful way, God says, just keep it. You're not, play, you're not praising me in it. Just keep it. And that mentality. Of course, verse 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, or hereby we understand the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know what it's saying there in verse 16? We show our understanding of the love of God by our actions. Hereby perceive we. We understand. How do we understand the love of God? It says we understand the love of God that he laid down his life for us, and that's going to produce what? An action that we'll lay down our lives, that we'll give of ourselves for him. I heard someone say, and I think it's pretty true, it says Christ died for us, right? But Christ doesn't call us to die for him most of the time. He just calls us to live for him. And a lot of times we think, man, Christ is calling me to die. No, he's just calling us to live for him. He's not even calling. I dare say no one in this room more than likely, I don't know, God will call you to give your life for him. But he does call everybody in this room to live for him. He does call us to live for him, and that's how we understand that. And then lastly, number three, we see the contradiction. The contradiction. Look in verse number 17. It says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So he, what John's saying here, he said there's a contradiction here. And let me give you the context of this, because the context is important. Context of this when he says, whoso have this world's goods, this is what he's saying. There's a person here that has been showered with blessing and seeth a brother in need, and he's too selfish to bestow anything upon him. He's not talking about somebody here that has nothing and has no ability to give up time of self. He's saying, I'm talking about a person here in beginning of verse 17 that God has blessed. And here comes opportunity and says, nope, that's for me. That's my time. That's my talent. That's my whatever in that. And I'm going to ask you a really dumb question, but I think it's an important question for this passage. Have you been blessed? Have you been blessed? I don't think there's a person in this room that would not say I've not been blessed. 
I don't think there's a person in this room that would say, God hasn't done anything for me. Now, that doesn't mean you're not struggling. doesn't mean any of those things. But let me ask you tonight, if you're struggling, can you see God? Can you see how God could bless in spite of your struggle? Can you see it? You say, Phil, I can't see anything in my life right now other than struggle because you're looking at the wrong thing. Find God in the midst of your struggle. Find the blessing in the midst of that struggle and grab it and hang on to it. If you just look at the struggle, you're going to drown. Kind of like Peter walking on the water. If he kept looking at the storms, he would have sank, he would have drowned. Feet from Jesus. But you look at this, and maybe you're like me, and I'll just be a little honest here. Every now and then, I like to count my blessings, okay? I like to do that. We know the little song, Count Your Blessings. I like to do that because I need to do that. I don't know if you've ever been like me. Have you ever started counting your blessings and you stop after a few? You know why I stop? I start feeling guilty. <laughs> I start feeling guilty of all these things God had done and how foolish I act and how selfish I act. So I start counting. I go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'll complain about this, this, this. You know what I mean? I start feeling guilty. So I stop doing it. And maybe the same way with you. And I think we all can realize here tonight is this, we're all blessed. We're not all necessarily blessed in the same way. But can I tell you this? Everybody in this room tonight is one of two people today. You are a giver or you are a taker. One or the other. Today, you're a giver or you are a taker. And can I tell you, some of us as believers never quit being takers. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Looking, 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 looking. And we never move from being a taker of the love of God to being a giver of the love of God. When you woke up this morning, did you think to yourself, I wonder who and how I could bless or show the love of God to somebody? Or was your whole day, your whole prayer, your whole everything about you and just making it through your day and people not messing your day up and everything going right in your world? Uh, give or take her. It's kind of a difference. When's the last time, and I'm guilty of this, and I have this in my notes. When's the last morning I woke up saying, God, give me someone I can bless today. Give me somebody I can bless today. I'm not going to ask anything for myself. That's give me the opportunity to be a blessing today. Now, by the way, let me tell you, that doesn't mean they're going to walk up smiling, wanting the blessing. It's probably going to come in a frustrating experience, just to be honest, a patient-building experience. And we always joke about don't don't ask for patience, but we understand that. But can I tell you, as we as we close, um, when I think about givers and takers, when I think about somebody that's a giver. You know who I think of in Scripture when I look at their life? I always think of a giver. It's somebody in the Old Testament. You've heard me preach on him about four years ago. I love him. It's Abishai. Abishai to me is the epitome of a giver. Abishai, you read about his life in 1 Samuel 26, 2 Samuel 21, and 1 Chronicles 11. Abishai was one of David's mighty men. Abishai is a guy... That was right there, Dave, one of David's right-hand men that never once asked to be a prince, never once asked to be anointed, never once asked to be anything. 
I love Abishai. He is very over the top. If you remember when Absalom ran David out of town, you remember that David was going out of town. I believe it's Shimei is his name. Uh, one of the old followers of Saul was cursing David. And I love Abishai. Abishai says, do you want me just to, to, to kill the dead dog here? Do you want me just to eliminate him? Abishai didn't say, look, he's mocking me. I'm following the guy here that he's mocking. No, no, he said, hey, I'm going to stand up for David even in David's worst moment of his life. Abishai was the one that when David went out to war, and if you remember the sons of the giant, as it talked about, came and decided they wanted to kill they wanted to kill uh, David. They waited for their opportunity when David waxed faint that Abishai was fighting, left who he was fighting, went over there and killed one of the giants. Abishai was one of the ones that when David said, if I could just have a drink of the water in the well, and it says that Abishai broke through, fought the garrison of the Philistines and got a pitcher of water, a cup of water to bring it to David. Abishai was always, always, always what I read. I know he was a sinful guy like we all are. But every time I read Abishai, I say, giver, giver, giver. I don't retake her. I encourage you, read his life sometime. Now, he's pretty much a gun-ho guy. He wasn't scared of much. But I love how he had a love for David above his own life. It wasn't about him. And I really enjoy that. And I want you to think about this. Do you love people the way that God commands you to love people. You know, I think to myself a lot of times, the answer that's no. There's a lot more I wanted to go over tonight, but time's not going to let us do it. But I just want to encourage you tonight. We show who we are a child of, not by what we say. It's important. But who we love, how we love, and if we do it indeed, and do it in truth. Let's stand together, we'll close in prayer.